Welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 58. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Hermione's Secret. Or, as we like to call it, Daddy Issues. We jump in with Harry sort of regaining semi-consciousness, and he's overhearing Snape recounting his versions of events to the Minister of Magic. And uh, one thing I want to say up front and immediately before Tori comes in with some character assassination. Excuse me. Is that regardless of if Snape thinks Harry, Ron, and Hermione were under a confunda spell by Sirius, it is pretty good of him to not entirely throw the kids under the bus for having attacked him, which is a crime, y'all. So that's pretty good of him. <laughs> the bar is low. I feel like... Snape is just requesting Harry face some consequences for breaking school rules rather than expecting Harry to face adult consequences such as like charging him with assault or aiding and abetting a fugitive. I mean, I have a point that Snape does suck and I do not like him, but he does have a point about the trio, you know, getting into mischief and, you know, not facing consequences. It is correct. And he's low-key blaming Dumbledore, which I do like, because who do I hate more, Snape or Dumbledore? It's it's hard to tell sometimes, <laughs> but... Oh, interesting. Okay. That's actually juicy to know where you're... that they're close in regards to your level of hatred. I feel like I don't, both don't like them, but in different ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, I speaking on Snape talking about Dumbledore, have a great deal of respect for him being the only person to actually kind of publicly call Dumbledore out on his shit in this situation where he full-on says, these kids have gotten away with a great deal before. Potter's been allowed an extraordinary amount of license by the headmaster. And I mean, he he's not wrong. He is factual. And the extent to which Harry, Hermione, and Ron have been allowed to go side-questing and gallivanting around solving trouble and trying to get involved in situations they are not really equipped to handle and should not be involved in. It's, I mean, it's its way too much. They get up to too much and they get permitted to get up to it too much. I find it interesting that uh, after Snape says this, the minister's like, oh, we all have a blind spot when it comes to Harry Potter, which I find is really interesting because once Harry... He's saying it to Snape. Yeah, because once Harry's like... Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I've seen his name. But once Harry kind of like isn't politically useful to Cornelius Fudge, he's like the devil. He's just like, oh, like Harry Potter gets away with too much. And I'm like, well, before you didn't care. Yeah, exactly. They loved Harry Potter when he was a convenient public relations. Like everyone loves and supports this wonderful, sad orphan child. And then that sad orphan child doesn't support you politically all of a sudden. And you're like, everyone hates that questionably more immoral, absolutely unstable. Yeah, adolescent. Yeah. He's he, he's not a kid. He's a problem. <laughs> also, Snape tells the minister that he treats Harry like any other student. And I just want to say that Snape is a liar. And he gets a plus one sucks point for lying because he does not treat Harry like any other student. <laughs> I mean, he he's definitely not particularly. He treats Harry like dirt. He treats Harry the same as he treats Neville. Worse than Neville sometimes. I mean, and I think in this particular context, like, yes, he's lying. But... The, the state of what they're talking about is people treating Harry with a degree of preference. And Harry is not, at least from Snape, getting a degree of preference. So, like, just based on preferential level, he doesn't treat Harry with preference over any other student. That's, it's like a, it's very political talk. 
liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, I just don't think it's the time or place to be like, I'm kind of an asshole to Harry for my own personal reasons. Like, you're not going to, nobody would bring that up. Any, no person would bring that up. Like, I actually have personal beef with him and he's not my favorite. He's just like, yeah, yeah, everyone loves Harry. I know, I know. Trying to get to the point, trying to solve the problems. So, like, I have a lot of points on Snape in this chapter because, like, the way the chapter is written, Snape is the villain, kind of, in a lot of context like the first half anyway it's just like this is snape the bad guy trying to convince the ministry of the wrong thing we get harry's thoughts and feelings through the third person so it's through harry's point of view snape is always the villain it's the cloak isn't it it's the too many buttons harry can't handle that well i have like i will contest that like snape earns one snape suck points for telling hermione to shut up because that's rude. And like, regardless of what you think happened, everyone who's there should have an, a say and should be able to express what their experience was. Like that just to me is how you do investigations. Also, Hermione was traumatized. Hermione attacked a teacher. She she did a bunch of things. Yeah. I just think like you should, proper investigating of any crime is listening to all of the witnesses. So it's rude of him to tell her to shut up. That's, that's not cool. But... I kind of think he's not a bad guy in anything else he does in this chapter. I mean, he's accurately recounting what he saw, and he's trying his best to get people to understand the truth as he saw it. He did not see evidence about Peter Pettigrew actually being the rat and Animagus. He didn't see that. So as far as he knows, it's kind of a made-up weird story. And he does know a lot of weird and very conspicuous shit Sirius has done since escaping. And he does know that Sirius was convicted. So like from his perspective, if we take away that we know the truth, he's doing the right thing. He's standing up for what he saw. He's trying to get the government to understand the reality of the situation and what was a crime. And it's just, he doesn't have all the information, but like if it were Luna Lovegood or character people love doing the same thing, being like, this is what happened. No, you have to listen to me while I explain what happened. We would have fully be on their side because we're like, of course their, their opinion, what they saw is valid. Even if they don't have all the information, they're fighting for what's right, sort of, in their mind. And that's that's a good thing. He just doesn't have all the information. I also think it's good that he doesn't blame the kids for assaulting him. He just sort of moves. He's like, yep, they attacked me. Probably not their fault. And just moves on from that quickly when he could have made it more of a thing. And I think it's good that he wants Harry to be given some level of consequence that is befitting of, like, a 13-year-old boy. And I do think that occasional consequences for breaking the rules in the long run would benefit Harry Potter, which is, of course, the priority of everyone, or specifically Albus Dumbledore's top priority. Um, I also think we can't really blame him for wanting who he presumes to be a killer caught and punished, because really that's what everyone wants in this chapter. Everyone's top priority is we need the killer caught and held accountable. It's just different people think the killer is a different person. You know, Harry wants Peter Pettigrew held accountable. Snape doesn't have that information. And also, furthermore, Snape is very handsome. Yeah, okay. Sure, whatever. I just think it, it's like that Harry always sees Snape as biased, and I feel like they do bring up the fact that like Snape's biased because he doesn't like Sirius, and to, to the 13-year-olds, that's like a big thing. Like, oh, he doesn't like him, so it's he's biased. But who you like and dislike becomes a little less important when you're dealing with consequences at the level of like murder and lobotomies and death penalties and it's a lot of serious things that are going on for these poor 13 year olds that like they're just looking for the truth as like you do as a kid where there's like complete right and complete wrong yeah and here there's a lot of like nuances in the situation 
which only gets worse with time travel. Well, before that, uh, I just want to say that Madame Pomfrey is just trying to do her job and it's just like no one's listening to her. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel so bad for her. Honestly, I think she should quit. She gets no respect. Like her priority and like assuming she's a medical health professional, she's probably a some form of Hippocratic oath where like you have to do everything in your power to help your patients get better and prevent them from hurting themselves again or whatever. She's trying to do that. And Dumbledore is like pushing her away at every attempt. He's She's like, they're my patients. They're sick. Don't do this in here. And they're like, no, we're going to do it in here. She's like, they're my patients. Don't let them leave. They're still sick. And they're like, no, no, we're going to take them out. And she's just like, she's like, probably just sits down. She's like, he'll be back in five minutes with more injuries from some stupid things that the teacher encouraged or let him go do. And like, how am I supposed to do my job? Nobody respects me. Like, I would leave if I were her. This poor woman. Doing her best for the kids. She's doing better than what? the rest of the Hogwarts staff deserves of her. But uh, so when Dumbledore comes in, he's just like, I want to talk to Harry and Hermione alone. Everyone get out. Minister Magic, get out. Snape, get out. Madame Pomfrey, get out. I mean, Snape is used to being bossed around by Dumbledore. Yeah, but the thing is, like, Snape knows when Dumbledore's going to do something to get Harry off the hook. He's just like, but Headmaster, like, you believe me, right? Like, you know that Sirius Black is guilty and... Harry Potter is lying, right? Like, you're not going to do the thing, are you? And then he does the thing. <laughs> he just, he knows. Yeah, he just, he knows Dumbledore's going to do something. He's used to it. He's had, what, 14, 13 years of it. And he's just like, well. But he's like, not this time, right, Dumbledore? You're not going to do this to me again, right, Dumbledore? And he does, because Dumbledore. Uh, I find out this passage that Harry has um, when he's talking to Dumbledore, but, but, but like he's, they're explaining like their side and Dumbledore believes them. And Harry's just like thinking that Dumbledore will have a solution. And when Dumbledore doesn't have a solution, he's just kind of like shocked because um, this is kind of the first time where Dumbledore can't fix something because the last two books, they're like, if Dumbledore is here, Dumbledore will fix everything. Yeah. And Dumbledore generally does fix things in his own way. But this is the one time Dumbledore like, just he's like, I, I can't do it because they're not going to believe me and they're not going to believe you. And that, that's just kind of like what the thing is. I mean, they could believe him. There's totally investigation tools that we know exist in the wizarding world. Truth serums, veritas serums, spells, and things you can do. Yeah. Dumbledore also holds a lot of, like, goodwill with the ministry right now. Like, Cornelius, like, generally looks up to him and trusts him a lot. So I feel like Dumbledore really wanted to do stuff. He could have, but, like, as we said before, Sirius being uh, clear doesn't really work for Dumbledore. So... He's not really gonna, you know, pull some strings for your serious being cleared. I also think, like, another smaller element of it is, like, even, like, Snape winning an award, he can't risk Severus Snape developing a self-esteem and thinking he is a person of value. That would make him harder to manipulate. So, like, even that, which is just a small, small side circumstance of the greater serious situation, but, like, we don't want Snape thinking he's he's capable or smart or can do good things. What if he decides to, like, atone for his mistakes by going out and doing other helpful things like catching criminals rather than, you know, holding Dumbledore's hand and, like, braiding his beard when his nails are wet, you know? I feel like just Snape is just Dumbledore's lackey because he just has him on that guilt and he just, like, every time Snape just, like, you know, does things, like, remember that you got Lily killed. Yeah. Dumbledore basically sends uh, Harry and Hermione on a quest as, you know, two 13-year-olds and, um, Basically, they're going back in time, which two 13-year-olds time travel. Yeah, they're like, kids. The state of Sirius and Buckbeat sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. And it just reminds you that Dumbledore always has people doing his work for him. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's really like Hermione tries to sort of get Harry to understand the seriousness of time travel. She's like, breaking the rules of time travel is super illegal. You could accidentally kill yourself. We could both end up dead. Someone else could end up dead. Like, and it's like, those are really high consequences for children. Like Hermione does a good job of respecting those rules, but those are pretty high stakes and pretty severe consequences to be just like pushing, just like pushing the children into like, good luck, have fun. Don't destroy time and space. Yeah. Don't kill yourself. Like best of luck kids. And like 13 year old me, you know, you just get caught up in stupid little things and you would absolutely get seen or caught and have to lie. And you're 13 and that's not your strongest suit, you know? Yeah. It's uh, I just don't get, get why they, Hermione says that like, changing time is like illegal in the wizarding world so like why do you even have time travel if it's illegal i mean it's probably illegal to be used in by like plain clothes that's the detective word now by like non-law enforcement like there's probably legal uses for time travel that are you done by like people who are qualified to do it like whether that be to like observe things and report back yeah time travel makes sense for like the Department of Mysteries, like, experimenting with it, or I guess for, like, certain, like, law or secret services stuff. But the thing is, like, Hermione's a 13-year-old that used it to go back in time to take more classes, and her Taking more classes is not a big enough excuse to do something so risky and dangerous. How did it get approved? Like, like I said at the beginning of this book, that someone just should have told Hermione, okay, you need to make a choice. You can't do everything. Yeah, you can't. It's just not possible. And, like... It's weird because it's kind of McGonagall was the one who pushed for it. And she's normally the sensible one. But I wonder if part of her was just like, we are always bending rules for these mediocre students. <laughs> and like, they yeah. do whatever they want and they wander out and go on their adventures. And like, if we're going to bend the rules, can we bend the rules for a good student? And like, also maybe Minerva McGonagall is a little bit just like curious like she's like i have interest in the idea of how time travel works i have interest in the idea of like how it could benefit students like she worked at the ministry previous to hogwarts so it's not like she has no understanding of those regulations and i wonder if she just wanted to know if it could be done like what are the long-term repercussions of frequent time travel and how will that impact someone and she chose someone like hermione because she knew hermione would try her hardest doing it just to see like she was, like, sort of testing on Hermione. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a little, like, of a selfish thing to do, but... I feel like Dumbledore needed Hermione to do the t have a time turner for some reason. So when McGonagall's like, oh, I gotta make Hermione choose a proper course load, he's like, actually, why don't we just get her a time turner? <laughs> oh, he socially engineered it so Harry could use a time turner while supervised by someone who's semi-responsible. That's interesting. Oh, I like that theory way better than Minerva McGonagall is being a bit mean and socially experimenting on Hermione. Yeah, I feel like McGonagall would generally just, you know, know that students that are 13 shouldn't be, you know, going back in time and all this stuff. But um Dumbledore doesn't care about students' well-being, so it wouldn't surprise me. So, of course, Hermione reveals to Harry that she is a time-turner, and this is how she's been getting to all her lessons, and just going back in time, doing her thing, and we both agree that it's batshit crazy. Yeah, it's too much. It's just too much. She's gonna lose her mind. And so, like, the way time travel kind of works in this book is weird. I find it very like tropey and plot devicey like generally things kind of make sense in the harry potter world so, like for 
Like, even if it is a plot device, it doesn't really stick out like a plot device. But this is the one thing where just, like, this is only really relevant to this book. And it's just for, like, a plot device to make Sirius and Buckbeak escape so they're present in the rest of the series and all this stuff. And, yeah, it, it just really sticks out as just being very convenient to me. Yeah, I really hate time travel in almost anything where time travel is not the primary main point of like the entire story like shows like Doctor Who or whatever where it's like the whole point is traveling in time and space and like that's yeah so it makes sense because you're spending a lot of time developing it but this is just kind of like we go back in time yeah but this is like kind of lazy it's lazily done it opens a lot of questions in like the nature of time and things that occur and like the story in itself and like I don't think it's done in a in like a cute way. Like they don't to me if you're going to have someone go back in time, you need more hints during the original playthrough of the timeline before they go back of little things you notice that make sense after. Like to me, if you're going to do time travel in this, I think a really interesting way to have like done that sort of hint of things being off that's like fully logical when you have the hindsight would be like if at some point earlier in the story Harry hides his invisibility cloak somewhere in the castle so he doesn't get caught with it and then when he goes back to get it later it's not there and he just like finds it somewhere else later and it's kind of not played as important and then if during the time travel when Harry and Hermione need to sneak out of the castle to go to Hagrid's hut he goes to the place where he originally left the cloak and it's there and he takes it and then he returns it to the different spot where he finds it later and you're like oh I remember reading the thing about the cloak and it was a bit off, but I didn't pay that much attention. Like, that's a nice little tidbit. Yeah, I feel like the film kind of establishes it. Like, they do it with the dumb acorn and then Hermione checking out the back of her hair. And, and then, yeah, yeah, I know that was kind of Yeah, funny. it was really poorly done the way they tried to put that in the movie when they could have done it in an intelligent way in the book. And they just like didn't well, they had a lot of stuff to cover in the movie but so i feel like they were trying to establish that there is going to be time travel and it's kind of a nice throwback but it's still very kind of like vapid and whatever. yeah they just like and it just doesn't make sense the way they lay it out the way it works and then the way they the author tries to like write it out when she realizes she didn't think it through enough and the way she made it exist isn't going to make writing the story easy. Yeah, I found it very convenient that like because time travel is such like those things she just randomly put in it and then in or the Phoenix are like, oh no, all the time turners are broken at the ministry. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very not thought out. It's very like, oh, I don't know if she like thought she would put time travel in this book, wrote the book and was like, okay, cool. This is how time travel is going to solve it. Or if she wrote the book and then was like, oh, I was sort of painted in the corner. How are they going to get out? Serious. Oh, time travel. I feel like, yeah, I feel like time travel was always intended, but I don't think she considered the, the drawbacks of time travel. that The actual repercussions of time travel. Yeah. Because it just opens up a lot of questions. Like, why wouldn't they use it to kill Voldemort? Or like, why wouldn't, like, if someone died, why wouldn't you just go and bring them back? Like, there's all these things it opens up and you don't want those doors open. So just getting rid of it just was like, not to keep those little ideas open yeah i agree it just opens up too many issues for the overall plot so it just it was meant to be a plot device but unlike all the rest of the magic she like made out for the series it's just like it opened up too many issues so she got rid of it 
But yeah, even here, it's just... Yeah, she just didn't think it through enough at all. It's clearly like a mistake. And like, there's other ways they could have gotten out of this situation. Like, you don't need to time travel to have saved Sirius. There's so many things that they could have done that wouldn't have impl- like created a whole new concept that is as convoluted as time travel. Like, there are so many easy way- easier ways to go about it. They just chose not to do it. It's still, like, reading this. Like, I still love this book. It's, one, like, my favorite-ish book. I mean, I love it, yeah. But, like, just, like, the time travel stuff's just kind of, like, thrown in there. And it just it just sticks out being kind of, like, okay, I guess we're going back in time. But it's not like the – it's, like, it would be a huge thing if it was done well. But it's just kind of like, oh, they went back in time and they came back and everything's fine. And it's never mentioned again. Yeah. It's not good – forethought or planning in a series where it feels like a lot of things were planned out books in advance and like it feels lazy it just feels lazy they snuck out to go to the hut and harry's like wow let's grab buckbeak and hermione having the ability of forethought and thinking things through and understanding consequences decides that the right plan is to not immediately take Buckbeak and disappear because then when the ministry arrives for the execution, they'll immediately blame Hagrid and think he let him go. So they do the clever thing of waiting, letting the members of the ministry team see Buckbeak, go into Hagrid's hut, them be Hagrid's alibi. And then while Hagrid is in the presence of the ministry, Harry and Hermione take Buckbeak. And I think that's smart. I think that's clever. And Harry totally would have just taken Buckbeak. And it's one of those examples where I'm just like, thank goodness Hermione is here. And like also just reminds me how at risk Harry is time traveling because like that's like a general smart idea for forethought without the consequences of multi-levels of time. And Harry's just like, we'll just take him. There's no problem. I'm like, oh, Harry would do so many things that he doesn't think are going to have consequences. Well, Harry wanted to burst into Hagrid's hut and just take Scabbers. And Hermione's like, what would you do if you saw yourself, like, attack yourself, kill yourself? Like, you gotta think, Harry. Bigger picture. But he's not so good at that. He's got, like, a very short-term goal. Also, one of the things I notice is that while Harry and Hermione are trying to get Buckbeak, you can hear Dumbledore in the cabin, like, trying to hold off the ministry leaving the cabin and, like, intentionally, clearly trying to earn more time for Harry and Hermione. And, like, this is the original timeline Dumbledore. Dumbledore didn't travel back in time with them, which means... Dumbledore that they're seeing doesn't know that he's going to tell them to come back to this moment with the time turner yet because this is still this is the original timeline for that Dumbledore. So how does he know? So my new fun theory is that Dumbledore liking to seem like a smart ass who knows everything and is all informed time travels every day <laughs> and goes at the end of the day goes back in time to the beginning of the day and like sits down with himself for his morning coffee and like gives him an update on all the things he's going to have to do that day or all the unexpected things he should be prepared for to look like a smart guy so like this evening's Dumbledore was like there this morning being like hey they're going to catch Sirius but he's innocent and to save him you're going to have to procrastinate for Harry and Hermione and you're going to have to do it around this time while the executioners are down by the hut. Cool. Also, you're going to spill jam on your favorite shirt at breakfast. So don't wear your favorite shirt to breakfast. Okay, bye. Like, I think that's the only way it makes sense because it is too complicated 
any other way than Dumbledore time traveled and forewarned himself he had to do it. It, it, it feels oddly convenient that Dumbledore is just able to like draw out time more. Like it, it definitely seems just like something that he would say like, oh, you forgot to sign this part of the contract. But it's also like knowing what we know of Dumbledore. I'm like, right. But they also like write it in the story. Like he's being quite conspicuous. Like Harry and Hermione can even sort of tell. They're like, oh, he's, he's definitely doing this to give us more time, which only makes sense if he knows the future, which he's not a psychic. He would have bragged about it by now. <laughs> so he can only know it because someone from the future told him. So headcanon, Dumbledore abuses time travel to look smarter than everyone else. Is anyone shocked? <laughs> but um, so Harry and Hermione are, you know, hiding out and Harry reveals what happened after the Dementors before they went unconscious that he saw someone who did a Patronus and got all of them away. And he reveals to Hermione that he thought it was his dad, but she's like, but Harry, your dad's dead. And he's like, yeah, I know. I think it's really cute. And there's such a like childlike sense of like, yeah wholesomeness that in Harry's mind is kind of like, well, all dad's friends from high school were here. So like, maybe he found a way to show up. Like, that's so like... Yeah, because even Hermione says like, oh, maybe you saw his ghost. And Harry's like, no, he was solid. It's just very cute that like his mind goes there. It's like, well, it makes sense because his friends are here. <laughs> that's very Harry logic. Yeah, it's just been a bit bittersweet because also they were talking a lot about his dad too. So it's probably like really in his mind being like, oh, I wish my dad was here and... Just longing for his father in some, like, way. And, of course, um, Harry, when he knows it's almost time for what he thinks is his dad to appear, to do the Patronus, he's like, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go watch him. I go spy on my dead dad. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it kind of happens really quickly, but Harry realizes, like, at, at some point that he didn't see his dad. He saw himself because he's back in time. Yeah. And he looks like his dad. And it's really cool, actually, because Harry um, is able to cast a full corporeal Patronus, which takes place as a stag, which is his dad's uh, form he took. So basically, his Patronus is his dad. Which is cute and wholesome. But also, again, the time travel of it all. If Harry knew he could do the Patronus this time because he'd done the Patronus, Patronus before, how did Harry do it the first time? I just don't know if it's like, it's all one timeline because you see the weird things they do when they travel back happening in the original playthrough, but it doesn't make sense with the Patronus thing, I don't think. I just like the idea that his Patronus is his dad because, you know, Harry has daddy issues and... Does he? <laughs> so it's like part of his dad is with them. I mean, he's always looking for a father figure. Uh, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Harry has daddy issues could have been the title for the whole series. <laughs> Each book is named after, like, the potential substitute father figure in that novel. Except for Seven, where obviously Harry is his own daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Harry becomes his own daddy. <laughs> that takes a whole meaning to daddy issues. Liz, I mean... That's the foreshadowing. It's this Patronus moment. <laughs> it's the foreshadowing to when Harry becomes his dad. So the chapter kind of ends off with, you know, Harry and Hermione get on Buckbeak, they fly up to get Sirius and, you know, have this really quick conversation with Sirius being like, okay, get out of here. Bye. So Sirius can leave. I, I love that about Sirius, who 
sometimes I'm very critical of, but there are so many times in the series where there's an urgent time sensitive situation and some characters are like, no, we're in a rush. There's no time for explanation or chats. And in so many of these moments, the characters are like, no, you have to explain. They waste time chatting or catching each other up. And Sirius is kind of one of the first characters that just like, oh, right. Okay, yeah, this is neither the time nor the place for a long, heartfelt catch-up. And he just says one one-liner, quick and quippy, and then just gets the fuck out of there. And honestly, I respect that, and I'm glad there are characters capable of it. One thing I want to say for like just this entire chapter is the pacing of it, because it feels really fast, which I do get it shows the sense of urgency and anxiety of going back in time to like fix things that Harry and Ronnie have to do. But it's also just like really fast because they just introduced the concept of time travel and they just revealed her- what Hermione's been doing this whole book. The-, the mystery of Hermione's been solved. But also it's like a lot of explaining and it's a lot of moments where they're just like sitting, they're just explaining things or they're just in basically just waiting for the events of the last chapter to catch up in this chapter. And it's like, could it have been split into two chapters? So like, there's more things happening because the chapter kind of like drags on, but it's also really short because it's, it's dragging on like the explanation of time travel. And also they're just like sitting around waiting for things to happen. And the movie does try and like make things a bit more tense with how like her area and her mind aren't just like sitting in Hagrid's cabin for like, the whole chapter they're actually out and like you know doing things and they have like it's a little bit more anxiety and tension and stuff but like this chapter was just like time travel exists and also just wait to go save Sirius for the whole chapter yeah they sit they wait they sit they wait and then they do the things and it is it's actually kind of a long chapter like especially compared to some of these chapters they've had lately where we were worried about whether or not we were going to have enough content this is a this is a long chapter yeah I feel like like it all it does really do is it's like it's just sit and wait and it's just kind of like okay time travel exists but also like nothing really is really happening <laughs> that's interesting because i found at least for me reading it it kind of felt more like the pacing felt almost the opposite to me like i felt like it was a rush and i was like hurry up oh, we gotta do the thing time is where they felt like time was running out the whole time the the events was very rushed but i feel like just like the experience explanation and like kind of like the exposition kind of dragged on a bit that makes sense i found like for me once they trap once like we understand how time travel works and like they have to save the people as a reader i found that like i felt like frantic and i really wanted the characters to rush and it felt like time was constantly running out which I think is weird and so at odds with the fact that we just learned time is malleable. Like it's such a weird juxtaposition. And I don't know if it's like the actual structure of the sentences in the story that is making me feel that way. But like, it's strange because it feels like a counterproductive way to be feeling after time travel is explained. The chapter is just generally kind of weird because the concept of time travel isn't very fleshed out and it's just kind of like, happens yeah i have like so many questions on the nature of time travel and like what it means for reality i guess like this might get a little philosopher on the back porch smoking a pipe but if the same event can happen twice and have different outcomes sort of what is truth like for example if you Go back in time and ask Hagrid, like before before Harry time travels, if Buckbeak is dead after the execution, Hagrid would say, yes, Buckbeak is dead. 
But then if you ask Hagrid again at the exact same time and the exact same place, after Harry and Hermione have time traveled, he'll say, no, Buckbeak disappeared. How convenient. And like, neither Hagrid is lying. It's almost like the time travel, like, like the, the timelines are on two parallel universes. So it's almost like two things can be true at the same time. But at the, see, but that if that's the case, then the things like the little sprinkles they put in there of things that Harry and Hermione noted, like Dumbledore wouldn't be able to know he's stalling for time because this Dumbledore is on the timeline where Harry and Hermione haven't done the thing yet. So like in the first timeline, if it exists in a different plane than the second timeline, it's just, it, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's like they go back and forth between, oh, different timelines branch off and have different outcomes. And it's the same timeline, but all these things happened on top of each other. Yeah, I feel like it needs to be one or the other, but because it wasn't, it was, it's just used as like a thing to get to point A to point B. So they don't differentiate like how time travel really works. It's just, just kind of like, it's time travel. But like, like you said, like shows like Doctor Who and stuff, but actually that's the whole premise of the show. They have a very distinct way about how time travel works in their universe. And I feel like because it wasn't really thought out to be this big thing it's just kind of like a thing that like of course time travel exists because it's magic but there's it's not explained in like how it works in the universe and especially because it's death they're traveling back to like they're not traveling back to like not wear the shirt that's blue that day because it'll look bad they're traveling back in time to undo two deaths or stop two deaths and like that's like the biggest thing you can change right like it's called the butterfly effect where if you step on a butterfly a bunch of things happen but this is still that they're taking away that being the end of two entire creatures timelines and stories and expanding them and like that's crazy <laughs> like that's such a huge thing like and it's kind of like okay so we can time travel and undo people dying so it's kind of like okay why didn't we do that with cedric yeah, see, that's why it opens up a bunch of things. That's why I think why that she got all the time turners, like she destroyed them and never touched time travel again because it just opened the idea that like if time travel exists, why didn't they use it to like stop Voldemort from coming back? Why didn't why are all these characters dead? Like if you can change time whenever you want, why wouldn't you? Then why wouldn't you? Yeah, especially like Sirius doesn't die in the original timeline like hypothetically if it concurred he would just be lobotomized but buckbeak fully dies so they're saying you can literally undo death and i'm just like that totally squishes the severity and like what feels like the consequence of all ongoing near-death situations like it's less serious if you know they could just rewind and be like don't stand there you're gonna get hit by the spell stand a bit to the left okay great now fred's not dead like it just yeah it's bad time travel's bad <laughs> it's dumb. There are a million other ways they could have gotten Sirius out of a tower that use magic and not sci-fi. Like, to me, time travel is sci-fi. And this is not a sci-fi story. This is magic. And I think that's what it comes down to, to, to for me personally. But uh, you have, the, your end points are, of course, about uh, Snape. I have a lot of Snape points. I know I talked about him all chapter, but it's what I do. So... As a Snape girl, Boo. I must take some <laughs> time <laughs> to acknowledge the emotional impact this chapter would have on Severus. Because again, ignoring Snape's feelings is kind of what they want for the reader. We're just supposed to dislike and be like, sucks to be Snape. But for some reason, I don't. So I digress. 
so Snape in this chapter, who never gets credit or respect for anything ever, almost gets a prestigious award for catching a killer with the added sort of petty joy of that killer being his high school bully and the added emotional justice of that killer having killed someone he loved. And then that entire thing gets pulled out from underneath him. And everyone's just like, well, we've tidied up what Harry needs to deal with. There are no other consequences that matter in any storyline. Yeah, I feel like... This is all on Dumbledore, like, obviously in the last chapter we'll cover kind of, like, what happens more detail, but this is, like, definitely something Dumbledore did, and Snape obviously blames Harry for it, but, like, Dumbledore had to have known how Snape would react, but he just didn't care. And the thing is, like, Snape knowed it too, because he's like, Headmaster, you're not gonna let them do the thing, right? And he did it, so he knows. Yeah, he already knows he's doomed. But also, again, I don't think Dumbledore wants Snape to feel like he's done something good, doesn't want Snape to feel, you know, validated for anything he's done or like he's capable of doing good things. I think he wants him to have validation apart from Dumbledore because Snape is just basically Dumbledore's lackey to do these things for him. And he does them out of guilt. But if he gets validation and stuff from other places. Yeah, Dumbledore doesn't want Snape to be able to feel good about himself. Yeah, Dumbledore doesn't want Snape to be able to get positive serotonin boosts from anyone but himself. Because Dumbledore is a manipulative asshole. <laughs> so, uh, back on the topic of Snape almost getting all these wonderful things and then having them pulled out from underneath him. We also don't know how long Dumbledore waits to explain, like, no, no, Harry was right, actually. You were knocked out and you missed the whole Peter Pettigrew, Animagus, Sirius didn't do it bit. But, like, there's a period of time where Snape knows Dumbledore is the one who fixes the situation and knows Sirius gets away and just has to like live with the fact that like Dumbledore fucked him over that royally. Like it's one thing to fuck him over for an award. I feel like, doesn't he find out at the end of Goblet of Fire when Dumbledore is like, oh, by the way, here's Sirius. (laughs) And we're on the same side now. So yeah, just shake hands. He kind of, yeah. And he just like, so Snape has to sit there with that for quite some time being like, I... Dumbledore, such, like you just let this serial killer escape for some reason because Harry Potter wanted that, and I'm a little confused. And I don't think Dumbledore feels the need to provide Snape with information, so Snape has to friggin' figure that shit out on his own, and that's rough. And I feel like after Snape finds out Sirius was innocent, I think there will be a little relief on his part, knowing that he didn't get Sirius lobotomized basically killed like i think as much as he hates Sirius for all these petty reasons i think getting him killed just because he hated him in high school even for snape is a little bit much and i think he'll be like oh okay i'm kind of happy i didn't get that guy killed for the false accusations killed for a crime he did not commit he should be punished for the crimes he did commit like being a general asshole but that wouldn't be the death penalty you know so i feel like snape will get a bit of relief once he finds out that but in the moment it's just a it's a really really bad day for snape like he did besides telling hermione to shut up he did the right things given the information he had sort of every step of the way and he ends up having just the worst time and then meanwhile all this is going on and friggin remus lupin is somewhere in the forbidden forest chasing squirrels and licking his own butt (laughs) just like the whole time (laughs) Oh, Lupin. So, you know, there's that. Well, that's kind of 
how we leave the chapter off. So I was wondering, do you have any other kind of like general wrap up comments, closing remarks, if you will, besides your general Snape points? (laughs) But like, I feel bad for him in this chapter because Harry gets most of what he wants. Ron and Hermione get most of what they want. Sirius survives. Buckbeak is saved. And like, Snape gets all his good undone. He ends up suffering for it. And nobody cares. My final remarks are just that time travel is just a convenient plot device in the Harry Potter universe. And it just is dumb. And actually reminds me of what why is so terrible is because they bring back time travel. Ugh, I don't talk. That that shall not be spoken about. It that shall not be named, Tori. Address it appropriately. Oh, bleep it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we'll be back for our final episode of Prisoner of Azkaban. I'll post again. Yeah, if you have any thoughts or anything you would like to share with us, you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on social media at Potter Revisited, and we'll be back next time. Bye! Bye!